or at least without so much as a shot being fired and there was no army involved and no fighting, God did all of the fighting for them. Joshua has observed Moses all of these years. He has been his right-hand man. But now Moses is gone and Joshua is in complete control. God has appointed him as successor to Moses. Now when Joshua took over, God promised to bless him. He told Joshua, As I was with Moses, so I shall be with you, and no man shall be able to stand before you all of the days of your life. Moses, because of his own rebellion against God, had been prevented from doing the one thing he wanted to do more than any other. And that was not only to be involved in leading the people out of slavery, but being involved in leading them into the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land containing vines and olive groves that they had not planted, a, a land of bounty that God had promised to give them. But Moses was deprived of that opportunity and the task now fell to Joshua. The first thing that Joshua did was to send two spies to the land of Israel to uh, examine there the city of Jericho, which was the first order of business. Now you will recall that 40 years earlier, Joshua had been a member of a committee. Now I would have to say if Moses ever made a big mistake, it was that committee that he sent to examine Jericho. Can you imagine a 12-man committee agreeing on anything? Well, M Moses had appointed a 12-man committee, and they had gone to observe the land of promise. They had come back to say, yes, the land is everything that God said it was. Here is great bounty and blessing. The cities are beautiful. The land is what we need, but the people of the land are too strong. And out of the 12 members of that investigating committee, only two of them came back with the right recommendation. And for once, the minority report should have been accepted. But because the people languished in unbelief and refused to obey God, they were willing only to live by sight and not by faith. And because of that, they wandered in a desert wilderness for 40 years. And when it came time for Joshua to lead the people in, he appointed a committee, but he only put two people on it. Now, I just suspect that before they went to examine Jericho, Joshua called them into his office and shut the door and said, Now, you guys watch what you see and what you hear and what you say when you come back. You very carefully choose your words. I imagine Joshua was dead sure that he handpicked the two right fellows who would see what God wanted them to see. Well, they crossed the Jordan. They went to Jericho, and it doesn't say too much about it, but I don't believe that the Israeli army had much of a makeup man. They weren't too good at disguise. For we read in Joshua here that they entered the city and went to a place of lodging where they stayed, and no sooner had they checked into their room then a man came to the king of Jericho and said, O king, there are two Israeli spies at the Holiday Inn. Well, the king sent for them, but the lady that ran the place hid these two Israeli spies, and when she had sent the soldiers off in the wrong direction, she came back to them and said essentially this, Where have you guys been for 40 years? She said, I know that God has given you our land. For we heard how he performed wonders in Egypt 
and how he dried up the waters of the Red Sea. And we know that God has given you this land. Well, that was all the encouragement they needed. They didn't investigate anymore. They just went back to Joshua and they said, Josh, those folks in Jericho are scared to death. It's time to go across that river and take the land of promise. Joshua, with that bit of encouragement, moved the people to camp by Jordan. And then, after they had camped, Joshua prepared the people spiritually, and rather than having, having to build a pontoon bridge or something like that, they came to the waters of Jordan, and they said, How are we going to get across? And Joshua said, The priests who bear the Ark of Promise, the Ark of the Covenant, that God has made with us are going to walk down into the water and it's going to split wide open. Everybody said, sure. But you know what happened? Those priests were men of faith. And as soon as the feet of the priests touched the waters of Jordan, the waters parted. And not only did they part, but instead of a muddy river bottom, there was a hard, dry highway through that river. And all Israel went through Jordan on dry ground. Joshua set up a monument in the midst of a river, a pile of stones rising out of the water so that in the days to come they could say, here is proof that God did what God said that he would do. We need to pause here to remember that if God has promised to take you somewhere or to do something with you or to bless you or to do whatever it is, you may rest assured that if God promised it, God will find a way to deliver it. They couldn't get close enough to the bank of the river on firm ground to wade or to float across, for this was at flood season, and Jordan was overflowing all of its banks. But God had promised to take them across that river, and God found a way to do it. The inhabitants of the land were really in bad shape now because God had done it again. Their hearts, the scriptures said, melted within them and there was no more courage left in any of them because of the people of Israel. There followed a, an interlude time after they crossed the Jordan where all of the people camped by the banks of the river. How many of you have ever been to camp? Falls Creek somewhere else. More than that, let's see them. Anybody ever been camp director? You haven't lived until you've been camp director. But can you imagine Joshua's predicament? He was camp director for two and a half million people. Well, we read the passage that we read together a moment ago. One night late, like any good camp director, Joshua was out after curfew policing the grounds looking for litter, parkers, whatever else he could find, I suppose. And when he got down near the river, he saw a man standing with a sword drawn in his hand. Now understand that this was after curfew. And this man being out of his tent was a direct affront to Joshua's authority. And Joshua, not wanting to appear delinquent in his duties, approached the man and he said, Are you for us or for our enemies? 
And the interesting thing is the answer that the angel made. He said, neither, nay, I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. And there's a lesson to be learned right here. You and I are very good often about drawing lines. We want to draw lines between people in any given situation. We want to be right. We want to believe that God's with us. I've talked to men who fought in wars who said it was such a startling thing for them to realize when they met the enemy, when they fraternized with him, that here was a real, live human being whom God loved also. And the angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, said to Joshua, I didn't come to take sides. I came to take over. In any given situation, there are probably three sides. There's my side, your side, and God's side. And the secret that you and I need to learn day by day as we associate ourselves together in a great enterprise to God's glory is God didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. The captain of the Lord's host received the worship of Joshua. Never in Scripture do the angels of God allow themselves to be worshipped. You will find at times in the scriptures when a man tries to worship an angel, the angel refuses to accept it. But it is exciting to realize that the captain of the Lord's host let Joshua worship him. Who did Joshua meet by the river? Moses, when he was by the burning bush, met God face to face. And the voice of God said, Take your shoes off, you're standing on holy ground. When three young Hebrew men were thrown into a furnace so hot that it killed the men who put them inside of it. The king of Babylon looked into the furnace and he saw not three men but four. And the fourth looked like the Son of God. Who was it who received the worship of Joshua? It must have been Jesus. There that day by the river, Joshua came face to face with God in the flesh. And there that night, it was established very early in Joshua's leadership experience that God was to be his boss. And I believe that if Joshua had balked or rioted or rebelled, against the very uncommon and unreasonable leadership of God that night, that the story we examine would have been altogether different. But when Joshua realized who he'd encountered, he fell to his knees and worshipped him and said, What saith my Lord to his servant? Now you remember that Joshua was a military man. Joshua was a man of action. He was not a man to sit on his hands. He was not a man to twiddle his thumb. He was a man to get things done. And the captain of the Lord's host said, Now I want to give you the battle plan for Jericho. And I can see Joshua's eyes light up and he said, Ah, I've been spoiling for this battle for 40 years. Let me hear how we're going to fight it. And the captain of the Lord's host said, Well, bright and early the first day of the week, I want you to get up and get everybody in their best battle gear, everybody dressed the way they ought to be, and then we're going to go out and walk 
around the city. Well, what else are we going to do? Nothing. Well, what about the next day? Well, the next day you're going to get up and walk around the city. Well, when are we going to fight? You're going to walk around the city for six days. I can see Joshua as he says to himself little things like a scenic tour, all I needed. How am I going to tell this to my generals? And then the captain of the Lord's host said, and on the seventh day, Joshua said, Goody, you're going to walk around the city seven times. Then what? Then everybody's going to raise their hands and shout, Praise the Lord. And the walls are going to fall down flat. Well, now, you know, we take that for granted, but can you imagine how strange that must have sounded to Joshua? Can you see Joshua trying to spring that plan of battle on his generals? But, you know, I really believe that what God was trying to do right here was to get it fixed in Joshua's mind that he was to obey God no matter what God said. I imagine early that week old Joshua wasn't liking it too much. He said, all right, let's walk, and here we go, and they walk around the city, walk around the city. But you know, I've got an idea that old Joshua did a lot of talking to himself and talking to the Lord that week. And along around the second or third day, he began to like it. And he said, boys, let's pick it up double time. Praise the Lord. Let's go. Because right there, Joshua decided, all right, Lord, you're the boss. And if what you tell me to do is crazy, that's your problem. I'll do it anyway. Meanwhile, can you see what's happening inside of Jericho? Here are these folks who thought they were fixing to get wiped out, and they see all these sun-baked Israelis out there taking a scenic tour of the countryside. I imagine along around the second or third day, the concessionaires broke out their wares, and they said, peanuts, popcorn, look at the Jews walking around the city. And the sunbathers came out on top of the wall, and everybody was having a good old time. But at the end of that week, just like God said, Joshua told the people, now when the ram's horn blows, you shout victory for God has given us the city. And when the people shouted, the walls of that city, they've been excavated, they were 12 feet thick, they fell down flat. And every man walked up straight in front of him and Jericho was taken without a casualty. Why? because they let God take over. The next order of business was the little village of Ai. Now, Ai was just a little hole in the road, you know, one filling station, a general store, and a couple of parking places. That's all it was. And so Joshua sent another committee to investigate Ai. Now, there's one thing we need to look back and see. The night that Joshua got on his knees before the captain of the Lord's host, he made an agreement that he wasn't going to do anything without asking God about it. And here was his first mistake. He forgot to ask God what to do. You see, he just experienced a great victory, and he decided to take care of this little dinky situation. He didn't need God's help. Well, he sent this committee to AI. They came back, and they said, Josh, there is nothing up there to worry about. 
We don't need to spend all the money it takes to drive all those trucks full of troops up there and spend all that uh, food money and all that gasoline and waste all that ammunition. He said, just give me two or 3,000 troops and we'll go up there and wipe them out. Well, that sounded good to Joshua. But again, he forgot to ask God about it. They went to Ai, they tried to fight, and they got beaten very badly. And when they came back from Ai, Joshua was incredulous. He just couldn't believe what had happened. We read in Joshua chapter 7, verses 2 to 13. You might want to look it over. Allow me to paraphrase it. It goes something like this. They came back and reported to Joshua. And then he and all the elders of Israel went into the, into the tent of meeting there before the ark. And they shut the door. And Joshua got down on his face in front of the ark. And he wallowed and kicked and cried like a little baby. And said, God, what are you doing? Did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Lord, I don't understand it. You've embarrassed me. What am I going to say when Israel turns her back on her enemies? And the scriptures say in Joshua chapter 7 that this went on all day until evening. A grown man pitching a fit in front of God. Now at the end of that day, we read in Joshua 7.10, the Lord said unto Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie on your face? Essentially, God let Joshua have his say. And you know, if you want to get tough with the Lord and tell him off, he'll listen. At the end of that day, the Lord said to Joshua, Are you through? Joshua said, Well, I guess so. He said, Then get up off the floor and quit acting like a kid. We got work to do. Look at verse 11 of Joshua 7 and you will find a very important thing for us to remember as God's people. It says, Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed the covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties, one of whom is superior, one of whom is inferior. They forgot who was superior. Israel had sinned. One of the people had disobeyed God at Jericho and taken some valuable things for himself. And notice, it ought to frighten us. One man named Achan, one man out of two and a half million people brought the judgment of God down on Israel. And one person wrong out of fellowship with God, one person rebellious against God can bring God's judgment down on God's church. Israel has sinned and they have also broken the covenant. You see, they had agreed that they would let God be the boss and they forgot. They forgot. So what did they do? They repented of their sin. They went back and remembered the covenant. They punished the transgressor. And then God said, Joshua, I want you to take all of the men of battle and go back to Ai. I'm going to give you another battle plan. I can just see Joshua's head drop and he says, we're going to walk around for another week, aren't we? But you know, this battle plan was different because God had already established who the boss was. I bet some of you kids thought that John Wayne invented the ambush. 
Well, he didn't do it. The greatest general who ever lived, God Almighty, invented the ambush. And you'll read about it in Joshua chapter 7. God said, Josh, here's what we're going to do. I want you to take about 30,000 of your guys and you go down the valley toward Ai late at night and you put them all off in the woods on both sides of the road. Now, in the morning, you take a few people and you go up there like you want to fight again. And those fellows that beat you once will come out and chase you again. And when they come out after you, you surround them and wipe them out. Well, you know, Joshua liked that one a little better. And it worked. It went off without a hitch. See how quickly victory was won at Jericho when God took over. And see how quickly victory was lost when they forgot to let God be in charge. And then victory was won again when they surrendered control of their lives to God. I have some bad news first and then some good news for you. The bad news is this. Everything that has preceded this this morning was the introduction to my sermon. The good news is the sermon's going to take about two minutes. There are two things that I want you to remember. Have you been considering the question I asked you at the beginning? What happens when God takes over? Number one, this is the first point of the sermon. There is no victory in a Christian's life or in the life of a church until God takes over. No victory until God takes over. Number two, victory will last only as long as God stays in command. Now the application. What would happen in Yukon, Oklahoma, if you and I let God have absolute control of our lives and of this church, what would happen? Another question, what's your part? What is your part in what God wants to do here? Where do you belong? What does God want you to do? You see, every member of this church is vitally important. There are none of us more important than any of the rest of us. We just do different things for the Lord. What is your part in it? You and I have to learn that there is no victory until God takes over. We have to learn it for salvation. You may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. There'll be no peace in your life. There'll be no sense of well-being, no forgiveness of sin, no rest in your heart until you give your life to Jesus and let him save you from yourself and from your sin. We have to learn it for salvation. We have to learn it for victory. Having been saved, victory is not automatic. There is no victory until God takes over. We have to learn it for abiding in Christ day by day. You see, the key to going in to the promised land is 
faith. The key to going in is faith. That's what they had when they crossed Jordan. They had to get their feet wet and then the water parted and the obstacle was gone. The key to going in is faith, but the key to going on is blind obedience to God. God is under no obligation to explain to us why he wants us to do what he wants us to do. But you may be assured that God will never do anything to hurt you. You may be assured that God loves you more than you love yourself, and God wants only the best for you. And if you would know victory, you would enter victory by the door of faith. And if you would live in a victory, you would continue to live in victory by the path of obedience. No victory until God takes over. Will you have a wilderness Christian experience? Or will you follow God by faith no matter what the obstacles to the land of promise? What would happen in Yukon, Oklahoma, if God took over. Oh, I have a burden and a vision for this city. I'm new, but every day God expands it. Never in my life have I seen or heard of a church with a greater opportunity to serve God. Never have I known of a church with more potential to reach people for Jesus to minister effectively to the hurts and the needs of her people than the First Baptist Church of Yukon. And if every day in fear and trembling we will by obedience follow God wherever he leads, he will raise on this corner in this city a work whose influence will resound around the world to the glory of Christ. What happens when God takes over? What's your part going to be in it? May we pray. Lord, the task is great. Lord, it's too great for us. Lord, the enemy's strong. The battle is fierce, and it'll only get worse. But, Lord, we've come this far by faith, trusting in your name. And we are persuaded that you who has begun in us a good work will perform it until the coming of Christ. Lord, break our hearts. Give us a vision. Give us a sense of mission, a sense of urgency about what you want us to do here. Lord, I pray on behalf of this people that you would this day take over. Lord, erase all of the things that stand between any of us. Take away all of the hurt, any memory. Take away anything that lingers. And Lord, don't take sides here. Take over. Lord, do with us what you want to do. Spend us. Break us. Lord, burn us up in your service. Lord, as we go to the people and as we grow, may we effectively minister to each other's needs. Lord, I don't know what you want to do here, but you do.
And I pray for grace to follow you one step at a time as you take us where you want us to go. Now, Jesus, draw from us, everyone, life-changing commitment and begin anew today what you want to see happen right here. I thank you for what you're about to do. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand to sing during this time of invitation, Just As I Am. You know the song. You probably will not need the book. I don't know your heart. I don't know your need. But I know that God wants to take over in your life. Some of you may need to come and openly share with this fellowship that you are giving your life to Jesus Christ and you want him to save you. Some of you live in this area and you've been looking for a place to serve God. This is it. And if God wants you to invest your life here, you bring your life and join this body. Some of you may want to come simply to kneel and pray. I was so thrilled the first time I saw these kneeling rails where we may come openly, just you and God, to pray through what he wants you to do. I will pray with you if that's your need. Whether this meets or touches your need or not, whether I've mentioned what God wants you to do or not, there will never be a better day to obey God than today. It will never be any easier for you to do what God says for you to do than it is right now. Boldly, proudly, publicly. What God wants you to do with your life today, do it right now. Do it quickly. Who will be the first as we stand and sing?